This is Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge on News Talk 770 Radio, Calgary's breaking news and conversation station. Welcome back. Rob Breckenridge with you here in this Thursday afternoon. We'll speak with author and journalist Terry Glavin after 2 o'clock, and we'll talk about uh, the latest out of Syria, the aftermath of this uh, apparent sarin gas attack this week, and what's going to happen as a response. Is the international community going to do something this time? Or will we do like, unfortunately, we've done in the past and forget it happened and do nothing? Uh, certainly, there's been a Calgary connection, unfortunately, to, to the uh, strife in Syria and these uh, concerning stories we've heard in recent years about young Calgarians uh, becoming radicalized and going over to fight with groups like ISIS in Syria and Iraq. People like uh, Damien Claremont, for example. And uh, his mother has certainly become very outspoken about the importance of combating this kind of extremism. Uh, Farah Sheerdin Muhammad. Another case where, in fact, he went on to basically become a spokesperson for ISIS. And, and there's a connection to a lot of these cases. And in fact, going back to 2012, as the Calgary Herald describes it, there was Salman Ashrafi, Damien Claremont and the brothers Colin and Gregory Gordon. All four left for Iraq and Syria. All four had lived together for months in an apartment whose lobby led to a tiny mosque downtown at 8th Ave and 8th Street. So given the connection that some of these individuals have had to that mosque, the mosque itself became somewhat notorious. Now certainly uh, there was an effort, the imam there, to, to combat all of this, to try to reach out to these young people. And our next guest uh, has certainly been doing a lot to combat extremism and radicalization. The decision has been made to close the doors of that mosque. So joining us to talk about all of this, very pleased to welcome to the program here today, uh, Imam Naveed Aziz. Imam, great to have you with us here. Welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me. All right. And when did you first come to Calgary, by the way? I moved to Calgary in April 2012. Right. So right, right in the midst of all of this. So we can certainly talk about your, your time here, but let's talk about this decision to, to close the mosque. Why was that decision made? So this decision was uh, something that was pending for quite a few years, and the landlord has spoken to us quite a few times saying that um, he wanted to evacuate the space so that he can start renovation and perhaps do something bigger with the space. Um, and we had entertained the idea of, you know, trying to convince him to stay longer as long as we could until we found a better space. And looking at the economic climate in Calgary, we thought, you know what, maybe a great opportunity would come our way. And along this journey, we did find several spaces, but for some reason or another, those deals didn't fall through. Uh, and eventually we did find a space that we liked and, you know, it's ready to go. Uh, hopefully sometime end of April, beginning of May. So yeah. we decided to, to let the landlord know that the end of March would be our last uh, month there. All right. Well, I mean, it gives an opportunity for a fresh start, I guess. But would it have been your, your preference to remain there? My personal preference? I would have decided to move a long, long time ago. Yeah. But it was a matter of convenience for the community. I mean, as, as you duly highlighted, there's an apartment building right next door, which is, uh, I don't want to say highly populated by Muslims, but there is a, a decent-sized Muslim population that lives there. And it's very convenient for them to come downstairs and to pray and then go back to their apartments. So we wanted to still cater to this community, and that's why we were looking for a space that was close by. Um, and ideally, I would have liked to have moved, but we had to see what the community wanted and cater to that. Right. But it, I mean, it seemed not necessarily an odd location, but it just it seemed like a small space for a mosque. Um, I mean, I, I think that's relative to the size of community that attends. 
because we were catering to uh, mainly people in downtown, there aren't too many uh, Muslims that actually live in downtown. Most of us just worked there. So our prayer cycle revolves around the rotation of the sun, meaning that in the wintertime, um, you know, you'll get like three or four prayers in during the day while you're at work. And in summertime, you might get one or two uh, at most. So those prayers we wanted to accommodate the community for, and that's why we didn't need uh, a huge space particularly. But even with that having been said, it was close to 4,000 feet, which is still relatively big for a mosque in Calgary. Yeah, interesting. All right, well, what about you know the, the reputation of this mosque, the fact that it's linked to, to these individuals who, who went of overseas? Um, how, I mean, how does that impact your decision-making? Um, I, I mean, for me personally, like I said, I, I would have preferred a new start well, coming into Calgary, like as soon as I arrived in Calgary, I wasn't working out of 8th and 8th. I was working out of our other branch, which is uh, off of Edmonton Trail. And I didn't actually move to the 8th and 8th location till September 2013, or just around that time at least. Um, so I had missed, you know, most of those individuals uh, in the mosque that, that had left. But the Gordon brothers were still there around the time when I came. And then obviously Farah Sheridan came in towards the ending of that year and the beginning of next year. So the reputation part plays a huge factor, but in making the decision, again, it wasn't too related. Well, and I think people make the connection that if, you know, all these young people went went through that mosque and became yeah. radicalized, maybe there's something sinister going on there. Was was that unfounded? Uh, and that's a fair question to ask. I mean, if you, if you look at the way things have been portrayed in the media, those are very fair questions to ask, and I, and I acknowledge that. But I think individuals need to do their due diligence and well, come and take a look for themselves, you know, or ask people that are part of the community, hey, is this what it's really like? And the reality is that the reason why these individuals attended that mosque was more for convenience than it was anything else. If you look at the history of mosques in Calgary, when I first arrived in 2012, there weren't many prayer spaces that would accommodate an English-speaking community. Likewise, this was right off the LRT station. And then even more than that, these individuals were living in the apartment building next door. So what history has taught us about these individuals was not that they were radicalized in the mosque, but rather they were conducting their meetings inside their apartment buildings. But for prayer times, they would come down and pray in that mosque, for sure. But you, you knew Farah Sheridan. Yes, I knew Farah Sheridan, right. uh, the best out of you know, all the individuals that left, yes. So it's, I mean, this is difficult for you. At that time, it was extremely difficult because, I mean, I don't know how much of a story you've read, but he was an individual that came from a, a petty criminal background. And I feel that I tried my utmost best to help him get his life back together. He was doing well in school. He got a full-time job. He started working, started fixing his relationship with his family. And things were looking very, very positive for him up and until, you know, he gets, I personally, this is my assessment of it. He gets so enthusiastic that he wants to learn everything and know everything and, you know, uplift all the oppression in the world at the same time. So when the Syrian conflict happens and, you know, he's affiliated himself with, um, at that time, ISIS had just started to become prominent. But there was still this other group called Jabhat al-Nusra, which was the Syrian front army that was fighting Bashar al-Assad. You know, that's how he got himself involved. It, it seemed like, hey, I want to help the Syrian people. But when you get caught up in the wrong crowd and they're, they start indoctrinating your mind with something and, you know, they rile up your emotions and they make you feel as if you can't do anything living in Canada, you know, they took advantage of his, of his goodwill and his situation yeah. and made him to the monster that we see him to be today. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's scary to think that, that someone could go down that path. And then how, how do you get through to them? Because as, as you say, I mean, you, you tried, you, you saw where he was headed. 
Of course. And this is the example that I like to give. Like, we have a whole discourse in Canada going on about countering violent extremism, right? Right. Our our, our government is putting a $35 million budget towards it. They're appointing a national director for it. And I think the focus needs to be on prevention rather than, you know, de-radicalization. And I'll give you a simple example. Like, as Calgarians, our allegiance, you know, lies towards the Calgary Flames. People from Edmonton, they have their allegiance towards the Edmonton Oilers. Mm-hmm. Now, what would it take for us Calgarians to change our allegiance from the Flames to the Oilers, right? Is there anything that would possibly be done? If they threw money at us, if they bought us, you know, as many jerseys or hockey tickets as we wanted, would we change our allegiance? And deep down inside, if that's the case in sports, that we're unwilling to change our allegiance to, to our sports teams, what makes us think about issues that are much, much more deeply indoctrinated, like religion and our like political inclinations and things like that, that you can throw money at those problems and try to solve them? So my general approach has always been, hey, let's try to prevent the issue from happening rather than allowing it to exist and then trying to cure the problem. And do you think we've made progress? Do you think you've made progress? This is like one of the challenges of our times that how do you prove a negative, right? Yeah. For the police force, how do they prove that they're keeping their city safe? So same thing over here. The way I see it is if we focus on empowering youth and creating youth programming that gives them a strong and sound moral and ethical compass that focuses on critical analysis and doesn't allow them to be you know, duped in by social uh, pressure and things like that, I think we're doing a good job. And just the start of creating youth programming within the Muslim community is a huge first step. Like I said, when I moved into the, into the city, there not only was the English community undercatered, but the youth, Muslim population in general, had no activities and programming going on. So the fact that we're able to get something going, and it's been consistent for uh, about three years plus now, and you know, there's uh, a lot more, I guess, imitating of this program now going across the city and the country, I think it's huge progress, but we definitely have a long way to go for sure. But how much of it is theological? How much of it is making a theological case that groups like ISIS are wrong? Excellent. So when you look at like ISIS's playbook, it's always playing on emotional rhetoric. You are not welcomed in Canada. The West hates us. The West is out to get us. Now, once they've infiltrated their hearts in that manner, the way they seal the mind off is by indoctrinating them by theology. So theology is actually the second step after emotional blackmail. So they will use verses of the Quran and, and you know statements of the Prophet Muhammad known as hadith and take them out of context, context, use them in isolation as opposed to using them holistically. And that's when it becomes an issue where people can be led astray after their minds have been shut off and they've been emotionally you know indoctrinated in that way. Interesting. So uh, did, did the, the, the mosque close last week then? Is that right? Uh, yes, Friday, March 31st was the last day of prayers there. And so you're still looking for a new location? No, uh, we're very fortunate we found a new location. We did. But we're, yes. we're just waiting for renovations to be completed, and we're hoping that either by the end of April or sometime in May we'll be ready to go. All right. Well, we wish you well. Imam, thanks for making some time for us here today. Thank Great you talking so much, to you. I really appreciate it. All right, Have take care. Uh, that's uh, Imam uh, Neved Aziz who was, uh, well, was, I guess, the, the imam of this uh, mosque in downtown that certainly became notorious at 8th and 8th. So closing the book on that part of their history and trying for a fresh start. 403-974-8255. We're back with more right after this. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.